Dr. KY's Whitehead here again to have another conversation with you about some of the stories that matter. Folks, it is once again my absolute pleasure to be here with you. Uh, there are so many places that you could choose to be today. I am elated that you are choosing to spend time with me. Here on Today with Dr. K, we seek only a few things. We don't have a long wish list. We just want to tell the truth, shame the devil, and put stuff out in the streets, keep folks accountable, and find ways for our people to live in peace and safety and harmony. Real simple. We have a couple things that we are fighting for as we move forward. It's Wednesday, which means it's the weekly wrap. It's that one time of the week when you, the listener, gets to decide what we're going to talk about. You are producing the show today. I want to start off with just a little bit of news here and talk about how we should spend more time helping our young people to, to navigate the dating scene. I know. We don't talk about that a lot. We just assume our children are dating. They're not seeing anyone. They're not doing that, but, but they are. And I thought a lot about that uh, when I was revisiting something that Michelle Obama said. Michelle Obama said that we love our boys, but we raise our girls. And, and that kind of philosophy spins us off into conversations about toxic masculinity, about what does it mean to raise our boys to be the breadwinners, to be strong, to be stoic, to not cry, to, to not apologize, to be the rock, to, to take it like a man, to argue that boys will be boys because we raise our girls, but we love our boys. I thought this would be a good time for us to just Think deeply about what would it mean if we raise our boys to be feminist. You know, remember, feminism is a movement to end sexism and sexist exploitation and oppression. Raising our boys to speak out against sexism, against sexist exploitation, and against oppression, and to speak up for a way that we can close the wage pay gap. What would it mean for us to? raise our boys in ways that we have not in the past, not letting them off the hook, teaching them how to be more than what the world would assume that they are. Been thinking a lot about what it means to, to be a mother right now and the ways in which we pour into our children. And then what does it mean to deal with self-care? and the ways in which we are taking care of ourselves. If COVID-19 has not shown us anything else, parents, it has shown us that our job, it's the, the unpaid labor portion of our job, extends beyond just going to work every day. If you are a woman, a black woman, you're dealing with something that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago called time poverty that your work extends beyond just having to show up at the office. You got to show up in the morning in the kitchen. You got to show up in the afternoon in the living room. You got to show up at the school. You got to show up when your kids are doing the homework. You got to show up when they need you to be an advocate. You got to show up whenever they get sick. You got to show up when they need cookies to go to school. You got to show up as a woman in general, and as a black woman in particular, you got to show up. And we are dealing with time poverty, so we don't have any extra time to show up. And as a result, I'm thinking that black women and Latinx women and indigenous women and Asian American women and women who are not of color are starting to get a little burned out. I'm thinking a lot about the fact that the holidays are coming and I am trying all that I can for this holiday season to be similar to last year's holiday season. One of the things that 
that the pandemic afforded us is we didn't have to go out and go crazy. We didn't have to stand in line at the grocery store. We weren't thinking about making turkeys and ducks, and we weren't thinking about Christmas because we were able to actually focus on what was most important, which is family, except now we're at a point where that's not necessarily the case. Now everything is more expensive from turkeys to Christmas trees, and the stress level has been ratcheted up, folks. If you thought you were stressed prior to the global pandemic, the level of stress that people are dealing with now, all people, and black women in particular, has skyrocketed. I want to talk a little bit about ways that we can talk about self-care, ways that we can step back. I want to talk about that today, and I want to open up the phones for whatever you want to talk about. It's the weekly wrap. You can call and put whatever you like on the table. 410-319-8888. I want to begin with Dr. Sherelle McArthur to get some tips on how we can deal with time management, how we can deal with being stressed out. What does that look for, and how do we make sense of it? Dr. McArthur, how are you? Well, I am greatly enjoying this conversation. Thank you. I'm so glad that you were able to chime in. Can you talk with us a bit about this notion of of time poverty and in ways that all of us as a whole and then really focusing in on black women, what can we do to begin to, I would say, save ourselves at this moment? Yeah, that is that that is a great question. I kind of want to jump on the tail end of what you just said. There's so many things. But you said, uh, you know, last year during the pandemic, we didn't have to focus on going out and getting a turkey and all of those kinds of things. We could just focus on family. And now we don't have the, the, that opportunity this year, right, because the world is kind of back open again. But I would encourage us first to continue to focus on family. We get to create the traditions in our household. And we have the opportunity to reject the traditions and the ways of being that folks put on us that we don't want to engage in. I like that. Last, I, last I, I like Christmas, that. That's, I that's took my son one, out to do things that we wanted to do. Right. I didn't do a Christmas tree or gifts under the tree because I reject the idea that how I celebrate in my household has to align with how you celebrate in yours. I like that. I like that. Do you think it's more challenging? I know that... I have a small family, but both my sons are in college. So I'm actually an empty nester now. Um, and last year, I would probably say it was one of our most special times for the holidays because it was just us. Yeah. We, we didn't travel to see anyone. We didn't go anywhere. I mean, we, you know, circumstances allow for us to say without seeming to be selfish, you know what, we can't come. It's just us. Well, this year... I know my sons are anxious to to want to see family members. They haven't seen their their grandparents. They haven't seen cousins and aunts and uncles. So they, they want things back. And so there's a little bit of pressure of, okay, so how do I balance that? How do I deal with family members who are unvaccinated? Like how do I try to be okay in that environment knowing that internally it's stressing me out a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I think that um what becomes difficult is when we choose ourselves. Mm -hmm. I may say a lot of things today, but the one thing that I want uh, black women and other women of color in particular to walk away with is choose yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you say, well, we want to see family, but it's stressing me out because of X, Y, and Z, then we don't see family this year. Maybe we do things in a way that makes sense for the current climate that we, that we exist within. Maybe we are all on a family Zoom and we are having a family game night and that's how we spend our holiday. We have a whole evening of games, but it's virtual. And that way, even though my kids don't get to wrap their arms around granny, they still were able to see family and we were able to do it in a way that makes me feel comfortable. I think far too often women, mothers, we put how we feel, we put what we want to the side, to the back burner for everybody else. And I want us not to do that. I want us to be a priority to us and for us. So how do I choose me, Dr. McArthur? Like, I, mean, I, I, I get it. I understand it intellectually. Yeah. Choose yeah. me. How, yeah. Socially emotionally how do I do that is is it making sure that my priorities are first because as a mom it is hard to think okay let me put everybody else's needs to the side because you know I'm choosing me 
Yeah. So I think, and, and I want to also be clear that I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. I have a nine-year-old son, so we, we are still in it. <laughs> and I'm a single mother. Okay. So, the, so there is no other person to counterbalance what I do. I do it. Okay. So when I say prioritize yourself, I don't, I'm, I don't mean nobody else is a priority. That's not what I mean. But when we prioritize everyone else, we don't become a priority. And that is what becomes problematic. So practically, when you're asking me, Dr. K, what would that look like? Uh, an example of that is to put yourself on your calendar. Right. So then I would ask you, do you have daily self-care routines or anyone who's listening? Uh, do you have daily self-care routines or are we simply squeezing in self-care briefly on one of our off days if we have time or are we waiting for a vacation every year or every other year? We often neglect ourselves in our everyday lives. Right. So the same way that if you if your children are still at home and you have that from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., they need to be at soccer practice, and they need to be in tutoring on Thursday from 2.30 to 3.30. You have these things on your calendar. If your girlfriend called you and said, hey, girl, you want to go to lunch, and you looked at your calendar and you had your child scheduled or date night with your boo scheduled, you would tell your friend no because I have something there. We need to put ourselves on our calendar and then maintain that the same way that we would if it was our child or our job, or our, our dating life, or our marriage. Put ourselves on our calendar, and then, and then honor that. That's one way we can do that. Okay, so put myself on my calendar. I do, I do have a self-care routine. I, I, I've been trying. Since, since I'm an empty nest, I'm like, okay, it's much easier for me to have a self-care routine. <laughs> uh, it is. I mean, I know. It, I mean, but I want to be clear. My self care routine didn't start till I dropped the last baby off at college. I'm like, okay, I'm free. Yeah. I, I can do me. I can get up at five a.m. and go work out with my trainer. I can do that. I can do me. I can go to bed uh, after eating a bowl of cereal without having to cook dinner. You know, to get my <laughs> husband. I'm like, hey, you want cereal or not? It's just two of us up in here. But I also know that for for some sisters out here. Uh, ones with multiple children, like you said, who might be the head of their household or who are working multiple jobs to make ends meet, like trying to yep. find self-care time might be a little bit difficult. What are some things they could do in, in their own home where they don't have to look to go outside, go to the gym or find places to carve out this, this self-care time? Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, that reminds me of um, when I was coming up. My parents were married fresh out of high school. They from D.C. and married at 19, divorced by 38, 39. So there my mother was a single mother, three children. And something that she did is something that I always encourage parents to do. And that is she would put a note, an index card that she just kept tape on. She would tape it up. And it basically said, give me 30 minutes. If it's not an emergency, don't knock on the door. Don't sit by the door. Don't don't clock my time. Don't tell me, okay, you got two minutes left. I need to talk to you. If it's not an emergency, don't put your hands under the door. Right? Let me have time to myself. And as an adult, I recognized that she needed to decompress from her day, whether she needed to call a girlfriend, her mama, or cry in the shower. She needed time to herself. And what she was teaching us was that it was okay for her to have it. Now, I do that with my son, but, but, but because that was my model. Too many of us don't ensure that our children know that it's okay, that we are Kay, that we are Sherelle. I'm not just mommy, that I have feelings too, and that I might need a moment to myself so that I am not taking my day out on my children. So one would be ensuring that we are communicating with our children in ways that they understand that we are whole, full human beings, too, and that it's okay for us to have time to ourselves, and then equally allowing our children to have time to themselves. So there may be times when we come in the house and I'm telling my son, come on, we got to do this, we got to do that, you got your piano practice, and he'll say, Mommy, how much time can I have to myself because I need a minute? Mm. And I think that's fair. And I'll say, okay. I tell him it's fair. So I say, okay, we got about 20 minutes. And he'll say, okay, I'm going to be in my room. That's fair to teach our children, you might need a moment away, and I might need a moment away. So that's one thing. And then in addition, what can we do at home? With the level of technology, so many things. 
YouTube, for example, is a wealth of fitness, meditation, breath work, yoga. Uh, I've seen a variety of personal trainers who will go live and do trainings on Facebook, on Instagram. I think that there are many ways for us to infuse the kinds of things that we're interested in if we take the moment to do so. I like that. I really like the idea of of teaching your children what boundaries yeah. are. I mean, if we can just extend that. I know that that was something that was important for us with our sons. Not necessarily give mommy a moment, right? Uh, we didn't use that, but we did talk about boundary setting. What does it mean when mommy's door is closed? That we learn how to knock. And, and trying to afford my sons the same privilege. We, we were, of course, a ho- well, not of course, but we were a house where, you know, most doors were open. It was like, hey, if you want to close your door, hey, you, you deserve some quiet time too. We all mm-hmm. do. You deserve a moment to get in the car and I'll say, hey, you want to talk about your day? And it's not my mom said, do you want to talk about your day? I think the way I switched it with my sons, I'm trying to remember, I would say, oh, when do you want to talk about your day? So you can talk about it now, we can talk about it later, but at some point I want to kind of get a, a feel of what happened today rather than how was your day fine, right? Because right, fine exactly. can, can mean a thousand things. So in extending that, how do we also begin to set boundaries, not for other people with us, but how do we set boundaries for ourselves? Because that's also an area where you struggle with t- you know, learning how to tell yourself that you are enough and, and that you're doing enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Boundary setting is so important. And I think that when you are talking about, you know, what we deserve and what we're worthy of, then we start having this conversation of what our self-talk looks like, Right. Uh, we won't be able to set efficient boundaries and maintain them because we create boundaries. but We don't always maintain those boundaries um, based on how we talk to ourselves about what we deserve and what we're worthy of. And so now we're getting into a conversation of uh, affirmation, right? Um, And the reality is, is that we speak over ourselves all the time. Our mind is always constantly in thought, processing thoughts. And so it's a matter of, are we speaking into existence more of what has been rather than what could be? And once we start to shift our perspective in that way, it makes those kinds of things like setting a boundary and, which is important, and maintaining it. Because boundaries aren't for other people. They're for us, right? Somebody, of course, is going to want you to breach your boundaries because they want what they want from you. It becomes our responsibility to maintain our boundaries. So if the answer is no, the answer remains no, right? But that, again, aligns with what we believe about ourselves, what we've been taught to believe about ourselves. Are we unlearning that? by actively telling ourselves something different daily in our affirmations and our self-talk. So we're trying to find a different way of speaking to ourselves. How do we recognize when the negative voice gets started? Because I know when something happens, yeah. well, you know, you win an award, you don't feel worthy. Something, somebody compliments you and you say, no, not me. You know, yeah. you, you feel guilty when you do something nice for yourself. How do we turn that, that negative voice off? And, and where does it stem from? Childhood? Childhood experiences? What happened to us? Like, where does that come from? Yeah, I think that it can come from a multitude of places. Somebody could come from a wonderfully happy home that was filled with positivity and, you know, take a math class in college where the professor was constantly hard and hypercritical and then that did some level of damage or come from a positive household and, and, you know, engage in a relationship with a partner who may be verbally or emotionally abusive uh, or detached, right? So it could come, or you may come up in a home where you, you do receive a lot of criticism. So it could come from a multitude of places. I think what's important is to take a moment to notice our thoughts, right? Like, I think we have to sit for a moment and notice our thoughts which is our self-talk. And then we need to ask ourselves, are the words that we, that we use or that we say or the thoughts that we think about ourselves 
supportive? Are they encouraging? Are they loving? Or are they hypercritical and negative? And then we could take that a step further and say, to your point, Dr. K, does our self-talk sound like someone in our life that we call on when we need support? Or does our self-talk sound like the person that made us feel the worst about ourselves? I think it's, a, it, it, I think it's cool to name that person, right? I had a client uh, who named her negative self-talk after her old supervisor because she recognized that that's where it stemmed from. So we used to call it Nettie because that was her supervisor's <laughs> name, right? And knowing and so, when yeah, that I negative think, voice shows up. Yeah, and so when that negative voice shows up, you have to counter that. You have to counter what that negative self says. So when you said, Dr. K, well, I haven't won the award, how can I counter that? I mean, here I was up for it. I didn't get it. Somebody else got it. Good for them. But I wanted it. I didn't get the award yet. Let's not make that I didn't get the award definitive. Let's not define ourselves by I didn't get the award in this award season. Let me remind myself of my dopeness. Let me step into that. Let me, let me re- remember when such and such caller has called and the ways that they sent me the email to tell me how supportive it was. Let me remind myself of who I am. And then let me tell myself that if the, the award is what I desire, then I haven't earned it yet. But that doesn't mean that I won't. We have to actively counter. We have to actively talk back to. We are constantly in a train of thought. So why not ensure that we are talking back to what has at this point become, Dr. K, automatic? If you are in a negative headspace, which we all have been, which we all get to from time to time, myself most definitely included, it is automatic. The thought pops up before you realize it's popping up, which is why we have to be mindful of it, mindful that we are in that space, in a negative headspace, and then actively speak back to it. And one of the things the I same speak way about. that if your child came in and was saying, I'm not this and I'm not that because I'm not on the varsity team and, right, and I got right. to be in the class, and you would be like, wait a minute, son. Uh-huh. Right. right. And that's you actually would, what I want to get into. Now, I got to hold uh-huh. you here on the break, but I want, when we come back, I want you to speak with us about how do we help our children deal yeah. with losing? Uh, first of all, losing when it comes to sports or losing an award or something, but then how do we help them deal with loss? So, kind of both of yeah. those. Folks, we're going to cover this when we come back, and then we're going to open up the phone lines to you. Stay with us for a little bit more of Dr. MacArthur and then open phone lines after that. Whitehead. I'm still joined by Dr. Sherelle MacArthur, or Dr. Mac is what she's called. She's a 16-year educator and a six-year teacher educator. She's an associate professor of education at the University of Georgia. She's also a wellness and life coach. Dr. Mac, thank you for staying with us. Yes, yes, yes. So talking to our children, first of all, about losing, I think it is a great skill set to teach your child how to lose. And I, I was thinking a lot about this over the weekend. My son is a fencer, um, was on the strip this weekend, and he lost his final bout to a senior. And so we've done so much work with him. I actually I was able to see it this weekend when he talked about the fact. He's like, you know, actually, I didn't lose. That person won. He won. I didn't lose. He said, because I fought mm-hmm. as hard as I could fight. He just won. I said, but he said, you know, I've learned what to do next time. So when I meet him again, I now know what to do better. And I'm like, wow, he really knows how to I lose and how to process losing and winning. How do you teach? I don't even know how we taught him that. So how do you intentionally <laughs> teach it? Because that's a life skill to learn how to do that. Absolutely. Um, I think that we have to be intentional and deliberate about ensuring that we are teaching our children um, and building their emotional intelligence as well as their emotional literacy. Uh, Our emotional intelligence is our our overall ability to deal with our emotions, right? But our emotional literacy is our ability to communicate 
our emotions uh, through words as well as to read them in others. So I think that some of the ways that we can do that is to accept our child's emotions and their emotional responses. I think too often, you know, we are frustrated when they are frustrated for whatever reason, and we stunt their ability to express themselves, right? I think it's important that we don't immediately judge or criticize or negate how our children are feeling. Um, and it's okay for them to just purge and vent, sometimes even be worked up, yell, and scream. If they they upset about something that happened at school, their tone of voice is not disrespectful to you for them to be frustrated by it, right? And it's okay to align ourselves by saying, oh, okay, well, that sounds frustrating, or uh, or if they're excited about something, oh, that that, that sounds wonderful. I can tell how excited you are, right? Um, And then we're teaching them how to label their emotions with them, and doing that helps our children feel understood. When we're listening and we say, okay, you sound upset or you look worried, that helps to acknowledge what they're feeling, but it also helps to create for them the ability to articulate that feeling or that emotion later on, and then creating an environment where it's safe for them to talk openly about their feelings, right? When, when my son and I are talking about him cleaning out the tub, sure, <laughs> there's a tone that, that I allow if he's, he doesn't want to clean a tub or clean his room. But when he's upset about something that happened at school or piano practice or at soccer, I don't monitor his tone, right? When I'm pissed off about something, I'm pissed about it. I don't need somebody to say, lower your voice. No, I'm angry. And too often we as parents try to control our children's emotions in a way that they don't really know how to express it, one, and they don't know what they can come and express it to us. And so I think that that is one important way that we can ensure that we are creating uh, health, emotionally healthy children so that when we start having a conversation, when there are losses, right, they trust and value us and our opinion and our perspective at that point, and we've given them the context in which to feel and express a full range of emotions without stunting their ability to, to demonstrate those feelings. So what about this idea that people want to be the best friend uh, of their child? And, and that's something that, that I'm struggling with because my, my dad used to say, well, I'm, I'm your father. I'm not your friend. That, that I remember growing up, except somewhere along the way, now that I'm older, that my mother, who never said that, but my mother's both my mom and my friend now. My dad has always been my dad. I'm like, okay, so is there a way or at some point should your children become your friends? Now, this is much debated. (laughs) This is much debated. Um, While my son may not be my friend at this point, he's nine. So he's not necessarily the person that I come and share all my information with, though I will. I'll come and say, hey, I got this going on. But but I am his friend. He feels comfortable coming and sharing and talking with me, and I desire that. I want him to know that he can talk to me about anything and everything, and I want him to do so. So that as he grows older, there have been things that he shared with me now that my mother's like, wait a minute, he, he, he said he told you that? Yes, he did because he felt comfortable doing so. And if we are able to maintain this, when there are things like sex that come up or partying or girls or whomever his partner might be and sex and drugs and liquor and, and, and any, anything, I want him to come to me first. I would rather be the person that's able to to define things for him and explain things for him than him going to another 15-year-old for the definition and the explanation. I want him to look at me as a friend, and a friend is someone that, that, that he can trust. A friend is someone who he values. I'm absolutely okay with that. But then that still goes back to this idea of emotional intelligence. My son has the ability to read my emotion, which means... He knows when we plan, and if, I, if, if my tone changed or I'm looking a certain way, you need to read me, son. You need to know that I'm mommy, and you may be, you may, you may be close to crossing some boundaries. And that helps to sharpen his ability to read other people. Yeah, I like that. I, I have tried to do that with my sons. Again, as our relationship is changing, 
Um, and it continues to change because they're learning yeah. how to navigate a new world. Yeah. And so am I, right? How we can begin to do this. Uh, Sirius Black on Facebook Live uh, put a comment here. Think of how much pain and how many problems can stop or start at the point of emotional literacy and self-regulation. It's good work we should all do. Good friends aren't yes men. So how do we make friends, Dr. Mack? And I don't mean um, when we're in college and we're situational friends or in high school. I'm saying as adults who've been in the house since the pandemic, who are now just starting to come out, like how do we reestablish friendships and how do we make friends? Yeah. Um, I think one of the benefits of being in the pandemic, if you are on social media, for example, is that there were a horde of Facebook groups that were created where people were trying to do exactly what you're saying, to socialize. And so there are all of these subgroups. Uh, and as far and for for black women, you get black women who enjoy interior decorating, black women who enjoy gardening, black women who enjoy fashion, black women who enjoy cooking, black women who are moms, black women who are single. Black. I mean, there are so many individualized groups where women are finding friends um, and connecting, and then saying, "Hey, do we want to meet up at such and such place?" And and now women are going out and having brunch groups and. And, and things of that nature. And in addition to the fact that if you're in the social media space, also what we saw in this pandemic are the number of businesses that sprung forth. Now, we already know that black women entrepreneurship is one of the fastest growing demographics in the country and has been since 2017. And so there have been a number of businesses that have sprung forth. And so I think that, you know, you trying to find ways to get out of the house and meet more people, you got the sipping paints, the drawing classes, the twerk classes, the trap yoga classes, the double Dutch group. Like there are, there are so many ways that you could find the things that you're interested in. And then while you're there in those spaces, talk, <laughs> talk. But we're talking about trying to talk, as you said, and communicate, but we, we still have this pandemic. Like, I'm finding it really challenging to do what you just said, to just start talking to strangers, to try to open up, to, to be friendly, because I'm still a little bit hesitant. I'm a little reticent yeah. still because I'm like, ah, I don't know how, how close I want to get. How can I joke and laugh from a distance? I mean, I really can't see myself trying to establish meaningful friendship because it's very hard. It's hard to make friends over Zoom. Um, but pre this pandemic, I don't know about anybody else, but my best friends don't live. I live in Atlanta. My best friends don't live in Atlanta. So unless I was seeing them, it's specific, you know, that we're going to have the girls vacation. Are we going back to homecoming? Uh, shout out to the HBCUs. Um, we spend a lot of our time on the phone. So, you know, when people are like, well, I don't want to do be on Zoom and I don't want to be on Google Meets, that's cool. But we spent a lot of time on the phone pre the pandemic. And I am clear that when I was coming up, my mama didn't have social media. So when she was connecting with her friends, it was also on the phone. So if we don't feel comfortable going to dine with someone new, cool. But what is stopping us from saying, hey, sis, I would like to get to know you further. Let's exchange phone numbers. Then you could build the relationship to whatever level of comfort that you feel before you do decide to meet up at X activity or restaurant or or coming over each other's houses. I want to talk uh, in the last couple of minutes we have left for our interview. I want to talk about depression because there are a lot of people who are coming out of this this period. I know we're not out of the pandemic yet, so people don't get upset about that. I'm just saying we're, we're moving beyond it just a little bit, day by day, right? Uh, yes. And they've suffered incredible loss, whether yes. they have lost a loved one, family, friends, or maybe they're just overwhelmed by 700,000 people dying. Uh, right. They've lost a little trust in the government. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm saying just in, in, in the, the health care profession, telling us one thing, doing another. People are feeling a little sad right now, a little down. Going into the holiday season when we normally see an uptick uh, in suicides, yeah. it's very concerning. 
that these things are, are convalescing. So, so how can people? I'm sorry, coalescing. How can people kind of recognize if they are dealing with depression in themselves and what they should do, and how can they recognize it in other people? Yeah, that that is a great question. Um, I think we need to notice our bodies and notice our actions. Are we doing something far different than how we would usually do it? As in, if we would normally come home from work and, and, and put a pot on the stove to start cooking, but it's been three weeks and we have DoorDash or Uber Eats because when we come home, the only thing we can manage to do is to get in the bed, we need to recognize that. We got to recognize that in ourselves, that there's something different. Um, if there are minor things that are happening in your home, but you're snapping on everybody, we need to recognize that. If you can't get out of bed without crying and you get in the bed crying and you're in the shower crying and you're driving to work crying, we have to recognize ourselves. Um, this is a, a very difficult season. We are still in a pandemic. We are entering the fall, and, and it will hit the winter uh, uh, soon, which means that the, the days are shorter, darker, colder. Black women in particular, we tend to have vitamin D deficiencies, which mm -hmm. make us more fatigued, which means going outside and getting more sunlight would be helpful. But, again, it's cold and it's dark. So, so what do we do, right? Um, I think we need to ensure that we're taking our supplements, and then I also think that it's very important that when we feel ourselves, when we notice in our bodies that something isn't right, that we put someone else or other people on notice. What tends to happen when we fall into periods of depression is that we get into a dark hole and, and, and we just spiral further and further down. Right. And it's very hard to get out of a dark space when there is, when there is no light. But if we have put someone on notice, your mama, your boo thing, your friend, whoever, that you feel yourself losing control in that moment, then that means that they are going to come looking for you with a flashlight. And even if they aren't able to get in the hole with you, them shining the light at least allows you to see that there is a way out. Does that make sense? Like so that. we want to be clear that we are building village around ourselves. And, and, and before we go, I know we want to open the, the phone lines. I need black women, myself included. Everything that I'm saying to y'all is stuff that I have worked on or I am working on. I need us to begin to divorce ourselves from the strong black woman trope. Okay, it is, is limiting us. And it's cuffing us to an ideology that makes us feel like vulnerability is weakness and seeking support isn't necessary. If somebody on your job called you a liar, you would reject that label. If someone called you a bad mother, with all our hard work and effort, we will reject that label. We need to reject the strong black woman label. because, And it doesn't make us any less strong or not black or woman. What it does is divorce ourselves from that notion of, uh, the need, the need to take care of everybody else and to do that, that we cannot prioritize ourselves. We can be strong and depressed. You could be bold and anxious. We can be driven to achieve and a perfectionist that procrastinates, right? You can be the helper and ask for help. I see so many women that say, well, I do all these things for other people. Great. That doesn't mean that you can't ask for help, right? So we can go alone, but we can get farther together. So I want us to build village. I want us to tell somebody when we are falling into that pit. And as mothers, particularly when we are exhausted, please, moms, please, 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 please don't prematurely exhaust your daughters in particular. We tend to overburden our female children, talking about time poverty, we tend to overburden our female children, giving them adult-like responsibilities as children and youth and still wanting them to stay in a child's place. And we can't do both. we got to pick one. If we're going to give them adult-like responsibilities, then we can't treat them like a child. And if we want them to act like a child, then we have to give them childlike or age-appropriate responsibilities. 
Yeah, I know I will tell you, sometimes it's hard to give age-appropriate responsibilities when I feel like I'm still a child. <laughs> there are days, yeah, yeah. When, there are days yeah. when the, the only thing I have it in me to do is to call my mom. I mean, there are days yeah. when I, I'm blessed to still be able to call my mom, but I'm like, wow, man, adulting is hard work. It is. Stressful. It I mean, is. Yeah, if I knew it was going to be this, I probably <laughs> would not have worked so hard, been so sassy to want to be the adult. I mean, I, I remember, like, getting into stuff with my parents in the back of my mind. Like, I can't wait till I'm grown so I can yeah. have my own apartment and live my own life. I'm like, you know what? Right. I didn't realize the bills come along with that. Being a and mom never myself stop. comes along with it. Like, it's just yeah. adulting is hard work. And maybe it that's is. why people are quitting their jobs right now. And maybe that's why people are saying, you know what, I'm done with this. Because if you're part of a certain generation as I am, I'm part of Generation X, growing up and getting the job is what we were taught. I mean, we now have the millennials exactly. and zillennials who are living their best lives. I was, you know, go, go, grow up, go to college, get you a job. It took a lot of work for me to recognize that getting a job and having a career, having a vocation and having a calling are not necessarily the same things. Yeah, which means, Dr. K, when we come back next time, let's talk about what that looks like as our responsibility for parents and how often we are asking our children to leave our homes at 18, which is an arbitrary age and doesn't mean that they're ready for the adulting that we think sucks 20, 30 years into it. Right. That is part of the dilemma. And yeah. that is where it gets into the hard work. I've been talking a lot this week about uh, seeing ourselves beyond the white gaze. And I talked today about learning how to raise both our boys and our girls. And I guess, let me just go back, raise our children of all genders, because we have to really start being more cognizant of the journey that our children are on and how their journey is different from our journey Absolutely. and respecting their journey. I, mean, I think that I come from a time period where children didn't have a journey. There was no respect that children were on a journey. Like, this mm -hmm. is what you're supposed to do. Do what we tell you to do. Children are seen and not heard. I think there's a little bit more space given to children. Now, I may be wrong, but I want to ask your opinion about that. I think we are allowing children to maybe begin to have their own journey, to, to discover and find their, their own voice. Either that or they're taking the space to do that. I, I <laughs> from my work with the children and youth, I think that they are taking it more than it's being given. Mm. I think that we, as the adult, whether you are the parent or family member or the educator, Sometimes we tend to believe that life doesn't start happening for children until they turn 18, and that's not true. And I think that the things that we are doing or not doing, the things that we are saying or not saying are shaping them in very particular ways, but this current generation is choosing to reject those things that they don't align themselves with. Now, not all people can handle that rejection, um, <laughs> but I also think we need to ask ourselves, why are we pushing those things that they reject that we also have a problem with, right? It's that idea of, well, I don't like it, but I did it, so why aren't you doing it? <clears throat> but you already said that you didn't like it. So why must we encourage a generation of, of children to suffer in ways that we should have never been made to? And that's a broad statement, and it covers a lot of things. But I, 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 I want to ask us, why are we encouraging our children to suffer through things that we should not have ever had to suffer through? Sometimes we don't know any better. Sometimes we actually don't know what we can do differently. And in charging the parents or the parental authority figure in the life of a child with doing the hard work so they can get better, I mean, right. digging down to try to figure out where you you 
came from and who you are separate from whose you are and and why do you see the world the, the way that you do and why don't you see yourself as being worthy leads to yeah. very difficult conversations not just about race not just about class not just about gender but also about your family dynamics yeah. and who yeah. raised you and why they inflicted that type of damage Yep. Over your life, because I, I think right. that many of us were severely damaged as children. And all we've mm-hmm. been trying to do is find a way to be OK and keep our head above water. Yeah. And many of us still have that broken child within us. Right. And so if I can for a moment, just say that this becomes the significance and the importance of seeking support, seeking support through a counselor, through a therapist, through a wellness and life coach like myself. This is why it becomes significant, and people tend to believe that, well, if I just talk to my friend about it or I just talk to my partner about it, then I'll be okay. But but that's not all that it entails, right? When you are working with someone who is uh, an expert in that area, what they are helping you to do is to create um, an action plan, an action plan to resolve the issues that you are experiencing. And so you're absolutely right, Dr. K. Sometimes we don't know any better, and, and, and I think that we need to seek the support to enable us to unlearn those limiting beliefs and habits and patterns and ways of being and knowing and then learn new ways of being and doing and loving and parenting and, and treating ourselves with dignity and honor. Uh, but we have to want to do that. I like that. I just want to find ways to lean into the moment and and try to, to be healthier. And I think that coupled with being healthier, healthier is trying to find spaces to be happier. I I will say that I know that there's a lot of stigma now, um, Dr. Mack, around talking about, you know, wanting to lose weight, wanting to get in shape. I want to be clear with my audience that in talking about this, I am in no way shaming anyone for their shape. I'm just talking about making healthier choices because for some of us as black women, our self-esteem is tied to our physical being, the one that we exercise and project toward the world. You know, mm-hmm. that we, we come across this idea that either we are coming off of a diet, in the middle of a diet, getting ready to go on a diet, you know, researching about the new diet, looking for whatever <laughs> fad. But, but, but there's something to be said about that never-ending cycle of get on a diet, lose 20 pounds, gain 30. Get on a diet, yeah. lose 10 pounds, gain 30. Like, it's something to be said about always looking for the next thing to make you feel better about yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that when we are doing any level of physical well-being, we have to ensure that we are working on our mind, our mental and our emotional well-being, right? Because if we aren't able to see ourselves as uh, the variety, like the, 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 all of the adjectives, we're brilliant, we're beautiful, we are all of these things. If you can't see yourself in that way, then you can lose 30 pounds and still look at yourself in the mirror and consider yourself whatever, right? And this is why you see people who continue to do the same. Now they, they're always in the gym. They never allow themselves to have a piece of cornbread, right, because they can't see themselves outside of whatever they originally saw themselves as because they haven't done the mental and the emotional work. No shame to women who get the, 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 the BBL, the Brazilian butt lift, or the, the mommy tummy makeovers or all of those things. But this is why we can look at those women and sometimes say, wait a minute, why haven't you stopped? How, how, how much butt do you want to have? How many, how many hips? are needed, and that's because she hasn't done the mental and emotional work to see herself outside of this, and so she keeps doing it because she thinks that that's going to make her feel better, but there's more than just your physical body. So that's one part of what you're saying. But the other part still with physicality aligns with our, our, our mental because if we are always trying to do the next thing and losing the same 20 pounds over and over again, that's because we are lacking discipline. That's a totally different thing. We're losing the same 20 pounds because we gained the 20 pounds back because we didn't have the discipline to maintain the 20-pound weight loss. Okay, discipline. That's still a mental okay, and so emotional Mack, endeavor. You got to help. Discipline 
it's hard. Uh, yes, it's hard. yes. I mean, you know, discipline is hard, right? Well, I mean, not I'm not saying it's easy, I'm not saying it like... <laughs> I'm on the help tip now, and I will tell you, I have in front of me at this moment, Dr. Mack, I have my smoothie for the day, the spinach, you know, it's it's spinach, berries, protein powder, (laughs) and I am, it's forcing me to recognize how much I would prefer a milkshake. Like, it's not just that, it's mental, (laughs) it just, it makes me feel better, right? So, so the discipline (laughs) is an ongoing process, but, but I wonder too, as I ask myself, myself i'm like but if i can be disciplined in this area if i can say you know what i'm saying no to french fries and and yes to more vegetables to improve my quality of life over a long period of time can i then extend that same type of discipline to other things i'm saying yes to the behavior that i want to have and and no to the behavior that makes me feel bad about myself yeah i think sometimes when we're talking about discipline we have to disconnect from uh, whatever the immediate goal is, and to try to be disciplined in, in another way and commit to that, if that makes sense. So before, this is what I did personally last summer. Before I could commit to losing weight and being having self-control, right, because it requires that in your eating habits and your water intake and your exercise regimen, it requires self-control. So I said, can I dedicate myself to leaving my house every day and taking a walk? The mm-hmm. walk had nothing to do with weight loss. Right. The walk was, can I just be disciplined in an activity? Right. So maybe your discipline is, for the people who say, I'm not a morning person, but that's the only time you have in your day. Can you be disciplined to getting up at, at 30 minutes earlier? And, and don't work out. Get up 30 minutes earlier and start your day. Get up 30 minutes earlier and have your talk time with God. Get up 30 minutes earlier and meditate. Get up 30 minutes earlier and have your cup of tea or, or, or your coffee and look at your stocks or read something. I don't mean get up and do the thing. I mean, can you practice the activity of being disciplined? Because once you can learn how to be disciplined, you can begin to apply it in the ways to reach your goals. But we just go head forth. We don't just do one thing, Dr. K. We do all the things. Right. I'm going to go from doing nothing <laughs> to working out five times a week. I'm going to also uh, jog on my, uh, ride on my Peloton. I'm going to eat nothing but kale and uh, <laughs> uh, broccoli and, and drink 72 ounces of water a day when you've been drinking 10 ounces. It's too much. It's awesome. too much. Be gentle with Can you do a small thing well? And once you master that small thing, then begin to increase. So if I can master getting up 30 minutes early, maybe now I can add in 45 minutes, and now since I'm up, now I'll start working out. Now that I know that I can do this, now I'm going to start working out. And once I've worked out for a couple of weeks, now I'm going to turn my attention to my water intake. We take on far too much, and then we bully ourselves and beat ourselves up and say, see, this is why you can't ne- back to the negative self-talk. Yes. Set yourself up to win, not to fail. I like that. Folks, we got to leave it here with Dr. Max. Set yourself up to win and not to fail. Dr. MacArthur is a 16-year educator and a six-year teacher educator. She's an associate professor of education at the University of Georgia. She's also a wellness and life coach. Dr. Mack, thank you so much for joining us. Set yourself up to win and not fail. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hold it here, folks. We'll be right back after the break. Ben, I'm taking you up next.